thank you for being with us in the third hour. It's the Morning Tailgate on Raider Nation Radio. Vinny Bonsignor, Lindsey Brown, I'm Clay Baker. We're all in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studios here in Las Vegas, Nevada. 702-365-9200 is the text line. Hit us up on the Don't Be Broke text line. What, what, what? I'm looking at this article. They're saying the worst intersections in Las Vegas for, for accidents and literally the intersection I live on. Oh, is it really? <laughs> Are you waving to the camera like, Confirmed! hey, how's it going? Confirmed. That's the problem. There is no cameras. <laughs> yeah, right. Or they're not allowed to use oh, it. Oh, confirmed. Oh, this is good. Let's get into this with Case Kiefer, the uh, contributing editor with Las Vegas Weekly Magazine as well as the assistant sports editor and reporter for the Las Vegas Sun. Covers the Raiders, covers it all, and he joins us on Thursdays at this time. Case, uh, uh, just in a, like a, a top of your head, what is one of the most dangerous intersections that you can think of after all these years of living in Vegas? Which is the ones that you try to avoid or at least know you got to have your head on a swivel? Ooh, um, well, I guess sticking with Lindsay, since uh, being around where she lives, uh, I live over here on St. Rose, pretty close to the Raiders uh, facility, and, and just with the increased traffic with, with everything new that's out here it's crazy i haven't been here as long as I, I think you have or a lot of people but uh there used to be like nothing out here it was just uh, uh free to go now uh you know even at st rose in raiders way which where you turn to where i live i mean we had a fatality here uh a couple weeks ago there's just always uh, people running across the street it, 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 it's just wild so uh i guess i guess it's part of a, a growing city but uh yeah i guess i gotta stick close to home I remember that fatality. Yeah, it was it was the the day that it was raining really hard, and somebody tried to run across the street. And I was coming home from the right from from something with the Raiders, and it took me about an hour to get home. It usually takes me about ten minutes. So yeah, I remember that day, and it is hairy over there. Yeah, well, the, all the sidewalks. First of all, not every part of the street has a sidewalk, and you can True. only cross the street every mile. <laughs> and so I can understand why some yeah. people like it's not a it's not a walkable city. And so that's that's the other issue too. But man, uh, I certainly get nervous driving around here, and I will go out of my way to avoid all these intersections. Although this listed intersection basically says, "Don't drive anywhere near my house." It's just don't even <laughs> never don't leave. Uh, but I saw you out and about in security at the big game, Case Kiefer. You were in there plenty early, like I was. Uh, what was the biggest surprise for you uh, outside of the game? And then what was the biggest surprise for you about the game itself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lindsay and I uh, walked in together, set me up for a big day. So uh, yes. thanks for that. Uh, exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, surprising? I, I don't know if there was any. I guess maybe just the overall sloppiness of the game. I think that will ultimately be forgotten with how well uh, it ended. We did have an exciting ending. Uh, uh, with overtime, but I think through even like three quarters, you'd look and say, I mean, neither team really played all that well. Uh, there's like seven fumbles in the game. Um, you know, both teams it seemed like we're making a lot of mistakes, especially the Chiefs early. Um, it, it just goes to show you that at the end of the day, that there, there's a lot of pageantry. It's exciting, and a lot of times it brings the best out of teams. But it, but it can go the other way too. Not not every Super Bowl you're necessarily going to get your best, and I don't think necessarily the 49ers or the Chiefs. Uh, um, we're at their best. I mean, outside of the game, I can't think of anything that super surprised me. I always thought Las Vegas was going to be a great uh, host city. Uh, honestly, I think it turned out even better than, yeah. than I expected. Just from people I talked to, um, you, you know, loved it. it, it I mean, I, I'm biased, but I thought of all the Super Bowls I've been to, it was so nice just how centrally located everything was. How, um, you know, I guess you had to go out a ways if, if you wanted to go to the availabilities before practice, but, uh, you know, it wasn't really an issue. I, I just thought everything ran uh, extremely smoothly, and I would give uh, Las Vegas as a whole a pat on the back because I thought it was a great debut. I typically sit next to Case uh, in the press box, and um, he's either to my right or my left, and then he always sits behind me at the uh, at the Raiders facility. So I know you 
to be quite the numbers guy. Um, and you're, you're, you're deep in analytics, and I respect that about you. And I want to talk about that because a decision was made uh, by Kyle Shanahan uh, to go ahead and take the ball, receive the ball, uh, even with the new overtime rules uh, in place for the playoffs. Uh, where did you fall on that, and do you feel like it was a mistake? You know, I, I've gone back and forth. I think what makes the, the the rules so great right now is that you really can make a case either way. I yeah. think anyone that says it goes this way uh, and just yells at everyone and, and says that they're stupid and it's wrong, <laughs> I think the other way. I, I think that's the most wrong of all. I mean, it is really close to a 50-50. And, and to that end, um, not to make me sound like too much of a waffler, but in the moment, you probably even heard me because uh, we were sitting close to the game too. I, I thought it was a mistake in the moment. I, I thought they did, should yeah. have kicked off, mm-hmm. uh, played defense first. Then, you know, now we've had a few days to think about it. And like you said, I am kind of a numbers guy. I've looked at, at some of the numbers. And, and the analytical models, another thing I would like to point out here, are split. You know, people use analytics as this catch-all term that everything's going to say the same thing. There's models here that say both ways. Uh, the, the ones where I've looked at it a little bit closer, I, I actually think in general it probably is the right choice to take the ball first just because that third possession is, is so important. Um, it becomes sudden death, of course, if you're on the third possession. And being that this was the first time we saw it in the NFL playoffs, I, I wasn't really – uh, you know, I had to kind of refresh myself on the new rules, to, to be honest. Uh, uh, so, so I wasn't really thinking of that at the top of my head. So I, I honestly think probably just in a vacuum, um, you know, now, of course, you got to take into account the Chiefs' offense and how the game was going. Um, but I think taking the ball is probably the right choice in the end just because of how important that third possession is. But, but you can really make a case either way. And like I said, I, I've flip-flopped in the time since I've been there in the moment to now. It's Case Kiefer, Las Vegas Sun here on the morning tailgate. As, you know, as the aftermath happens, you know, 49ers end up firing Steve Wilkes as their defensive coordinator. And, you know, they still had an awesome defense. They gave up 22 more points than they did last year. But how did you feel the game was called in that regard? Because, you know, even Steve Wilkes can't control the injuries that happened on the field, ultimately losing to the Chiefs. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I thought they had a, a pretty strong defensive uh, performance overall. I mean, you just make so many mistakes and you give Patrick Mahomes enough opportunities. Uh, the, the dam is going to kind of break, so to speak. I, I think this was really probably more uh, uh, written in the stars or destined to happen with, with what had happened uh, in, in the previous um, few weeks. I know there had been some reporting that there was some tension there. You could tell sometimes in the sidelines of the playoffs that uh, Kyle Shanahan seemed a little bit frustrated um, by, by the defense. I mean, of course, winning probably would have masked everything, especially if, if they uh, continue holding down the Chiefs like they did through the first uh, two and a half right. quarters. Uh, so the ending wasn't great. But, um, you know, I, I think there were bigger issues at play. And, and I, I think the defense ultimately played pretty well. Uh, Nick Bosa never uh, ended up getting to Patrick Mahomes. The guy it was like every play, he was like an inch away. What, what, what a battle that was. That was fun to watch. Um, you know, so I think their defense is in a pretty good spot, and I just don't know if it was, uh, you know, the perfect, I don't know if I want to say personality fit, uh, philosophy fit, but I just thought that the Steve Wilkes, uh, Kyle Shanahan pairing, both great coaches, but just for some reason didn't really seem to mesh. So uh, I understand they're going in an opposite direction. Talking to Chief Keith, Case Keefer of the Las Vegas Sun and uh, many other talented entities. Uh, and, and we talk about finding that perfect fit, whether it's it's coordinator to coach or quarterback to coach. Uh, like perfect matches when I think, I think, you know, Mahomes and Reed. They, it's not just a tight fit. They, they, they're they the, these creative geniuses that tinker with each other, even like Brady and Gronk and how they competed and just the beasts that they were. What are some other modern perfect matches that, that come to your mind in the league? Oh yeah, that's a uh, um, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of uh, 
um, so, some other teams that, that, you know, I guess it's going back a little ways, but, but I think, uh, uh, Brian Dable and Josh Allen, when he was mm. there, I mean, you know, we, we forget how up and down Josh Allen was at first before he broke out. And now, you know, he's in the conversation of the, the, the second or third best quarterback in the league behind, uh, Patrick Mahomes. And, and you've seen their offense has never quite been at, at the same level, uh, since Brian Dable left. So, uh, uh, th- that would be one to me. Um, I, I don't know. Go t- a, a real deep cut. I don't know why my mind is uh, going to all ones that are no longer together. But uh, uh, I probably mentioned before I grew up a Georgia football fan. My, my dad's from Atlanta. I went to Georgia games my whole life. How about you know winning back-to-back national championships with Todd Munkin now with the uh, Ravens and Stetson B- Bennett? Wow. Uh, no one ever thought Stetson Bennett was going to turn into this, and what wow. Todd Munkin brought out of him was uh, incredible to me. So I, I think that's one of the the, the underrated uh, offensive coordinator quarterback. Uh, pairings and just uh, how well they work they fit together um uh, of the last few years at the top level of uh, football speaking of which i'm sure the raiders would love to create uh, a great duo between their offensive coordinator and their next great quarterback whoever that might be are you buying um the reports out of boston that uh, that the patriots might be open to trading pick number three and if so should the raiders be involved you know, I think with as highly as, uh, you know, I think, but, I, but I'm not a talent evaluator, and as, as people that are talent evaluators think of this quarterback class, I, I think you absolutely owe it to yourself if you're in the market for a quarterback to be involved in those talks. I'm sure they're making those calls, and I absolutely think they should be. I think that, that these could be uh, franchise-changing players. I, I always thought it was kind of a long shot that one of these teams uh, would be interested in, in trading it, but mm-hmm. you never know in the NFL. We've seen, uh, you know, surprise after surprise. Uh, so as far as I believe it, I'm still on the fence. We'll have to see if it ultimately comes. As far as the Raiders being involved, I'm an emphatic yes. I think you at least got to make those calls. you got to at least see and think about it because if you feel strongly about one of these guys, which I'd be very surprised if they don't feel strongly about at least one of them, you got to go investigate that opportunity. How far are you willing to back up the truck as far as draft capital? Would you do something in the, in the term of the Trey Lance deal with three number ones and a third rounder for the number three pick? Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's so tough, but being with what the Raiders have um, around them right now, and it really does look like they have pieces uh, in place other uh, in other uh, positions on the roster to contend that, yeah, I, I think I would be open to it. I mean, it would take some conversations. Uh, obviously, this is not going to be a decision one person in singular is making. Um, you're going to have to come together and, and talk about your, your vision for the team and where this puts you. I mean, obviously, this would be the, the you know, in this hypothetical, it would be the biggest decision to determine uh, the, the careers of, of a lot of people, at least with the Raiders. But, uh, um, you know, off the top of my head, I, I don't think that asking price would be too severe given uh, what, what you're working with. I mean, I think these prospects are all uh, – blow me away way more than even in Trey Lance did it at, okay. at the time. And I, and I don't think that just being reactive to what we've seen in the NFL. I, I, I think there is a, a real opportunity here to make a game-changing swing. So I am uh, more pro than against, although I'm usually against trading, uh, you know, any draft capital. And just kind of reading the room case, I, I feel like this offseason has large implications for many of franchise. Every every offseason's a big deal, but not all of them set the course potentially for 15 years. Or if you hit really well, you're going to be great. Or if it goes poorly, man, it, it could really go down that drain. Which franchise do you think is uh, at the biggest risk for potentially derailing themselves this offseason? Yeah, I mean... I- the 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 bills come to mind. I don't know why the bills keep coming to mind uh, for, for all these uh, uh, things right now. But mm. I mean, the AFC we know how tough it is, and it seems like uh, you know everyone 
you know, there's kind of this talk that their window was closing this year with, with how much older the roster is, but they're still going to have a lot back um, next year. I mean, they were still right there. Uh, you know, I think when we look back on this Chiefs run, we're going to forget how close a lot of these uh, games were. I mean, obviously, overtime in the Super Bowl. Mm. Uh, the Ravens had two turnovers in the end zone, despite a game they played terribly. And uh, the, the Bills missed the field goal at the end of the game. Uh, Stephon Diggs dropped that pass. Um, I, I don't really know. I don't know if I buy that this was like the last year that they could get it done, but uh, I, I think it is coming up with this current core. I guess you're always going to kind of be in it with uh, um, with Josh Allen, but obviously they decided to run it back. They're having Sean McDermott and most of the coaching staff back again. Joe Brady uh, um, for a full year. It looks like the rest of the division could be better if the Dolphins stay healthy. With you know if Aaron Rodgers uh, can play at a high level at 41 years old, um, I, I don't know that they've been kind of the uh, perennial bridesmaid in, in the AFC with uh, hmm. this Chiefs run. And uh, man, you always feel like they're going to break through, but I think they are running out of time. So this is a, it's, it's a big uh, decision of what they do to kind of bolster their roster. They don't have a whole lot of resources going into this offseason. You know, speaking about a big decision, uh, I go down to Miami, and um, have you seen enough of Tua? to give him a big contract to, to, to max him out on a, on a new deal? Uh, I, I probably have, and I'm a little worried about, uh, about Tua, especially, you know, may, maybe I, I am giving a little bit too much uh, credit to, to Mike McDaniel and, and the coaches uh, uh, from that tree, but, but I just feel like he has a – I feel like he has an opportunity to raise just about – um, anyone's level and you know are you better kind of uh, restarting trying to get mm-hmm. um, a new guy in and still having all those assets to, to put elsewhere I mean I feel like it's kind of unfair to Tua who I think uh, is a good quarterback I just don't know I mean with, with the money these guys are commanding with the money he's going to command does he um, you know is he worth you know really hampering what you can do with the rest of your team I would kind of lean no but but I understand why it is that, that most of these guys do end up getting paid um, but but I'd slightly be on the uh uh, on the side of, I don't know, I'd want to look into uh, other options. Case Kiefer, Las Vegas son, out of the Raiders pending free agents on the roster right now. Who is somebody that you would pound the table for? Oh, pound the table for. That's a, uh, that, that's a good one. I, I, think, I, really, uh, I like to pound um, the table. You know, yeah. <laughs> Who do you retain? Who, 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 who tugs at your heartstrings or at least your, the logical philosophies that you take to this game to win games? I should have been. I should have been listening to you guys. Have you pounded the table for anyone? I, I'd, I'd like to hear. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to piggyback up someone. You guys pound the table for anyone earlier? Well, has your mind changed about Josh Jacobs? Um, just with you know, I, I, I am kind of worried about the you know how much it costs to um to to pay to pay the running backs. Um, you know, I, I think Josh Jacobs is amazing, and I think uh, all that's happened, uh, you know, who's you know keeping Antonio Pierce, I think it probably uh, benefits him. But I, I just think the cost, it would disqualify him from being a pound-the-table uh, for me, guys, okay, great yeah, as he is, too. as much as he's meant to the franchise. I just think the pure financials, um, you know, either way it plays out, you, I, I can see the things there, but probably not a pound-the-table guy for me. I'm interested to see what they do on the offensive line. You know, I feel like I'm always the one bringing up the offensive line. A guy I feel like I have been pound-the-table for the last couple of years, I think he finally got some respect this year, but I just think Jermaine Illuminor has been a, a lot more valuable player than people realize, been a lot better. Um, I know there's been problems with penalties, but, man, he, I mean, even going back to when he first got here and got benched, I thought he was playing better um, back then than he was, and I, I think uh, – uh, you know, his mindset, his determination to get better has, has really shown through. I don't know how likely um, it, it, it is that, that he'll be back if he'll get offers elsewhere. Um, so it all comes down to financials again, but but he's a guy I do feel strongly about that I feel like has been a better right tackle than a lot of people realize, probably an above-average right tackle in the NFL. So uh, maybe by default he's the one that comes to mind. Maybe I pound the table for uh, Jermaine. 
Cool. Uh, Chief Keefe, I know that you cover everything that goes on in, in our fine town, and we are the center of the sports universe, so your life doesn't really stop when the football season does. But we do get more days to our week, at least I, I'm, I'm making that assumption for you. And with that, I assume there's some more time to dedicate to your tiny human. Uh, what's the thing that you look forward to most getting to do now that we're in the football offseason with the Kingster? Oh, well, uh, I, I will, we will be uh, going uh, out of town next week because uh, as a lot of kids his age, I'm sure you guys probably know uh, Peppa Pig is uh, <gasps> the, the, the big, uh, super exciting. So we're taking him to the uh, Peppa Pig land or whatever they call the theme park in uh, Orlando next, year, uh, next week. So uh, that, that'll be real exciting. Do you take offense when you get called Daddy Pig? Because that's part of like, you know, there's mommy pig, daddy pig. I mean, I, I, I went through that too. And I'm like, hey, take it easy with the daddy pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. The, 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 the clumsy uh, kind of. <laughs> I don't think he calls me that outright. But uh, yeah, it, it, as far as kind of being a clown, I feel like I'm already getting that uh, designation somewhat. Yeah. The other nicknames are not suitable for air. So that's, no. uh, that's OK. We'll settle for daddy pig or yeah. Chief Keefe. I'll take Susie Sheep or Rebecca Rabbit my, any day. <laughs> my my uh, welcome to uh, actually being a dad was when I threw my son up and I said whoopsie daisy and I was like I've never said that word before in my life oh. <laughs> I just said whoopsie daisy <laughs> like how the hell did that just come out of my what mouth what do you got there <laughs> I did catch him by the way oh that's good yeah, oh, that's good. yeah I thought that story was going in another direction and I was uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh yeah yeah no that all happened too no we should expand that, on that that. <laughs> that all happened as well hey Case we wish you the very best we hope you have a great and safe vacation out with a little one and uh, we'll talk to you again when you get back all right, thanks a lot. Always good to talk to you. All right, thank you. Las Vegas Sun, as well as the Las Vegas Weekly Magazine, can be found on newsstands everywhere. Make sure you get it. Case Kiefer, part of our show here on Thursdays. And, you know, that's that's an interesting thought. Like, all right, yeah, the, the price for bringing, maybe bringing somebody back like Josh Jacobs is one thing, but how much would it take for a Jermaine Illuminor to come back? Sure. Or do you feel like there's that trade-off with Thayer Munford right now? Uh, that could that that could be, uh, you know, a possibility as well. I, I'm completely with... Uh, case I think Jermaine um, has has really outplayed what people think that he's playing. I don't get it. Uh, he's had you know he had he had a, he had a bad game against the Chargers. We all remember that. Uh, I think there were some physical issues that that he was dealing with at that time. But by and large, he played pretty darn good. And you could do a lot worse at right tackle uh, than 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 him. And he he definitely solidifies that role where to to a point where you can go address other issues uh, if he if he is brought back. The Tua question to me is really interesting too because he's coming in this is the fifth year of his rookie deal. Okay. Um but you got to start asking yourself if either Miami Dolphins, you know, has he won a division title, has he won a playoff game, has he won a big game? Did, does he play well in cold weather? He looked terrible in that game against Kansas City when he had to go out in the cold weather. I don't know that He's answered any of those questions. I know he hasn't won a division. I know he had, the big games they've they've lost to to most of the when they get into a big game they usually lose. Um, and then he hasn't won a playoff game, and he didn't look good when the elements weren't you know uh, the best uh, either. So I I wonder if you do get yourself tied into that long of a of a contract, or are two years down the road are you going to why why did we do that? Yeah. I don't know, man, about him that experiment that is going on down there because again they're who I look in, in terms of like cutting edge just an, one example there's plenty of teams that are sure. that are changing the game but in terms of what Tua does to execute that offense which is extremely specialized uh, that gives me pause for moving on even though he hasn't shown you the, a lot yeah. of those things that we measure are you worth this commitment to big money 
And, and it's big money. And, and it is big money. And it, it is could, big it money. Could, it could, right. it affects how you're able to do everything else. Absolutely. Uh, but but that's where I'm I'm kind of he hasn't shown me enough to for me to not believe in him either. <laughs> and so I, I wouldn't want to be in that position because you're kind of in this in between. I, I worry about the concussions, all that stuff. But I also think because of the experiment, because of what McDaniel is running down there and and just the way that he's built it, I think two is the perfect fit for him. But there's okay. also a lot of young talent that are coming out with same similar skill sets that can throw the ball quick. Yeah, so right. it's like Tua, you're 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 perfect for the system until somebody else follows in your footsteps, and, and it, that's an inevitability for all of us. Yeah, and if you watch that Chiefs game, it felt to me like the coach didn't have confidence in him throwing the ball downfield. Well, they didn't have confidence running the ball, and Either. they just kept trying to sling it downfield. It wasn't really downfield; though. it was all behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. It was these short little the passes, short little passes that, to Mostert, and all it that. Wasn't, right. And that wasn't. But working. timing is so important to them. So if something gets a little bit off, the entire thing just derails, and so that's where if the running game isn't going, I'm not shocked that the passing game isn't working because we were seeing the same stuff here. But there, it's probably even more sensitive because it's a f- more finely tuned machine. And I think I think he ran for only three first downs last year. He doesn't run it uh, either. And right. in today's game, just the way the game is going, we saw what happened with Patrick Mahomes. He had, what, 60 yards in the second half, ran for, a, a, a what, four or five yeah. big first downs in that game. Yeah, and, and you're just going to have to have that. And once or twice a game sometimes. You know, that's where hesitant with Aiden O'Connell because I don't know if that he's going to be able to do that more than three or four times in the course of a year. And in today's game, you might need three in a game from your quarterback to get you out of some trouble and just to I go get, so. yeah, to go pick up a first down to extend the drive. Uh, otherwise, you're just a sitting duck back there. And that's what he became. And I know part of it with Tua is he's trying to protect himself, which you just right. brought he, up the I think he overcompensated that where this year, where last, the season prior, it was so bad. And this mm-hmm. year, he learned a lot of different ways to protect himself, Clay. But he then sure there's did. also the biggest way you protect yourself is choosing when and where to go. But there was still a problem. I mean, do we get caught up in like the 4,600 yards that he threw? And he had 29 touchdowns, but yet he turned the ball over 27 times, 14 interceptions, yeah. 13 yeah. fumbles. No, like normally yeah. that's like yeah. you don't want to invest in stuff like that. I, I wouldn't. You know? We get all over people like Dak for stuff like that too, and so you have to. That has to be part of this overall yeah. conversation. It does because right. it's so expensive to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's it, and it, it almost seems like from afar uh, almost an easy decision because you look at some of those numbers. But then you start looking at the reality of the situation. And you're like, I don't think that this is a guy that I would want to get married to for that long a period of time at that expensive of a number. So interesting times there in Miami. All right, we got uh, we got to take a break. We're a little over. We we got to get to the story of uh, Vinny up at VegasNation.com about the Raiders coaching staff updates and more here on Raider Nation Radio. Thanks for being with us here on this Thursday. Uh, up at VegasNation.com, Vinny's story is one. It's a, I love this headline because it's true. It it leads like this you know, open-ended question that has no distinct answer right now, but who is on Antonio Pierce's first Raiders coaching staff? Because it's a fluid situation. Yeah, and most, most of the key spots have been uh, filled, um, and we'll go through uh, them. Obviously, Marvin Lewis, uh, there's no, you know, I think we've read assistant head coach. I've been told that the it's a little bit of a moving target on what the actual title is going to be. But suffice to say, he's going to have a um, a, a big say in terms of uh, the experience that he has and the wisdom that he has being heavily leaned on by Antonio Pierce. We've talked about this, you know, putting together your first offseason program, your training camp schedule, all of those things, framing your offseason program. Um, it's, it's all new to Antonio Pierce. This guy... 
he just literally completed his second season in the NFL last year, and most of that has been spent as a linebackers coach. So he's never had to think about these types of things. I think having Marvin Lewis in whatever role is uh, in terms of um, you know uh, offering advice, offering some counsel, uh, is going to be great for for Antonio Pierce. Offensive coordinator is Luke Getze, um, most recently from the Chicago Bears. I think mm-hmm. the Raiders, you know, obviously we know what happened with Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, that didn't work out. Uh, they pivoted to Luke Getze, who was a finalist for that job to begin with. He interviewed a couple of times with Antonio Pierce. And I think what the Raiders sort of surmised was that it was more of a talent issue in Chicago than a Luke Getze or his scheme issue. And that's kind of what they're counting on. Bring him here to the Raiders, mm-hmm. uh, put him around some better talent, and you'll you'll see the results. We'll see um, how how valid that uh, line of thinking is? Although you know, talking to Devonte Adams, he was pretty happy about the uh, about the choice. He worked with him for I think five years uh, in Green Bay, so he knows him well. He was his position coach, passing game coordinator, cornerbacks coach in in, in Green Bay. So so Devonte signed off on it. Um, uh, that's probably a pretty good thing right there because he's usually uh, really honest. Offensive line coach uh, James Craig, formerly of the 49ers, assistant offensive line coach there. Uh, has worked in the college ranks, has worked in the pro ranks, was a former Raiders uh, assistant offensive line coach back in, I think, 2007, right around that area. He comes to the Raiders from the 49ers. Uh, they waited that one out and uh, you know until after the Super Bowl to make that hire. Wide receivers coach, from what I understand, Edgar Bennett will That's be back, cool. 55 years old, uh, has been you know a, a candidate over the years uh, to be an offensive coordinator to move up the ranks to be an offensive coordinator i think he interviewed with the bills for that position last year uh, but he's back and i know Devonte and the wide receivers love edgar he was actually under consideration to potentially be the interim coach when when the raiders ultimately went with antonio pierce so uh good experience and somebody that's really beloved in that locker room pass game coordinator remains scott turner he'll be back for his second year running backs coach tba uh, right now, um, Deshaun Foster was hired for that position. He ended up going back to UCLA to be the head coach. So there's a hole uh, there. Offensive assistant, DeAndre Pierce, if that name sounds familiar. That's the son of uh, Antonio Pierce. Uh, last year, he worked at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo as a graduate assistant. Played for his dad at Arizona State. Played for his dad at Long Beach Poly. Also played at Boise State. So a, a former defensive coordinator, or excuse me, a defensive player on the college ranks, now trying to be a coach. Uh, we wish him well. I think he's 23 years old, offensive assistant, defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham. Uh, remember this time last year, people were calling for Patrick Graham's head, and now everybody's happy, obviously, that he stayed. They went from giving up the sixth most points last year, or in 2022, uh, to the to the uh, eighth fewest this year. Uh, what a turnaround for the, uh, for the defense. Oh, Patrick yeah. Graham, obviously... Had a big say in all that. Last year, people were like, Wink Martindale is going uh, to the Giants. Yeah. He's like, they get that guy. He's the defensive coordinator. And that thing just uh, exploded. And he was one of the first ones, more or less, let yeah. go after the Giants' miserable Talk about year. a personality conflict big uh, time. over there. Think um, of, so it's like you've said, hey, when there's patience to be had, take patience with yeah. certain guys. Like yeah, I, I think chemistry on a coaching staff is so important. You probably saw that as a, uh, as a player. If the coaches aren't getting along or are, are on the same page, that's going to always filter down. Uh, to the players, you know, talking about Steve Wilkes, I kind of feel like that was in the in the works for a while. I don't think that was a one day decision where Kyle Shanahan woke up and said, "We're getting rid of him because we lost the game." Uh, talking to some people in San Francisco, there had been some rumblings along the way where the chemistry wasn't well, wasn't great. They weren't really on the same page. We did hear that 
Uh, Kyle asked him to run the same scheme that they had been running the last couple of years. It wasn't even his scheme. He had to come in and kind of revamp what he did. So, again, coaching chemistry, chemistry on the staff uh, is is really important. It wasn't working out in San Francisco. They make a move. Uh, defensive line coach Rob Leonard, um, he is back for his second season with the Raiders. Got a lot of credit for how that defensive line played. High-energy coach. I don't think he's going to be here much longer. I think he'll be a defensive coordinator uh, fairly soon, but but Rob is back. Pass rush specialist Andre Carter, remember that name? Uh, former 49er, former um, really a good NFL player, has been in the coaching ranks now for a few years. Mm. He's going to be working with the pass rushers. Uh, that was his forte uh, in college in the NFL, so uh, he's going to lend a hand in that regard. Mike Caldwell, uh, the linebacker coach, 52 years old, uh, was the former defensive coordinator with the Jacksonville Jaguars, so uh, now he lands as a uh, as the linebacker coach under Antonio Pierce. By the way, there's six former NFL players that are on this staff. Uh, I'd have to go look at some other staffs to see if that's high or low or what the case might be. But Bet you it's high, and it's fig- that for a reason. Yeah, and, and I think that you know, uh, being able to relate to, to today's players uh, and command that kind of respect and know mm-hmm. what it is, know what it, what it's like to be a player mm-hmm. uh, and to be in those shoes uh, probably helps. And we saw that with Detroit. Detroit had a whole bunch of former players as their assistant coaches under Dan Campbell, who himself uh, was a former player. And, and it's obviously resonated in that locker room. Antonio Pierce is a former player, and that resonated in the Raiders locker room. So it really feels like he's kind of going uh, to that model with the six former NFL players on his staff. Another one that did play in the NFL, Ricky Manny Jr., uh, is the cornerbacks coach. Um, He was with the uh, Jets last year and the Seahawks before that. Uh, Former really good high-end cornerback in the NFL. Did some really good work as the assistant um, uh, uh, cornerbacks coach for the Jets. They had a lot of good young talent there that he helped uh, cultivate. So now he comes to the Raiders as the cornerbacks coach. Gerald Alexander, another former NFL player, is the safeties coach. Um, he comes to the Raiders from the Steelers and Dolphins. That's Those were his last two stops. So he'll coach the safeties. Special teams remains Tom McMahon, uh, who I thought did a pretty good job last year with the, with, the, with the special teams, whether you're talking about obviously the punting and the kicking were great, uh, but also the coverages were, were really good. They ended up doing a really good job uh, on special team Tom uh, McMahon. Can you think of like a better turnaround or a, a, main, a main maintenance from, you know, where you would add maybe two years ago with – you know, Basachi as a special teams coach, everyone really loved playing for him, but also they got results. Mm-hmm. Tom McMahon even furthered that, yeah. like refined he, it and polished it and made it even stronger. Yep, he's done a really good job. Uh, and then the assistant special teams coach, uh, Darius Swinton, who is back for his second season. That's where we are uh, at the moment. Still need a running backs coach. I'm sure there will be assistant running backs coach, assistant, you know, I haven't had a tight ends coach in here yet. So uh, I think they went without a tight ends coach last year, full-time tight ends coach, uh, if I remember uh, correctly. So, uh, so that's where the staff is. Priscilla be a part of that, right? Was that how that worked, or was yes. it a mix with him and it Edgar was, Bennett? It was uh, Edgar. Yeah, um, there was somebody else that I'm missing uh, that's no longer on the staff but uh, was, was working with the tight ends. So, uh, so it'll, they're not, the Raiders aren't going to announce any of these truly until it's all said and done. Uh, so I would expect that within a week or so where, where, the, where the staff is finalized because – a lot of these guys are going to have to start getting out to you know uh, private workouts. They're going to have to start getting out to uh, the scouting combine to look at their position groups to start really looking at the film for their particular position groups. So uh, so there's a little bit of an urgency to get it done, uh, but I would ar- imagine that it's going to get wrapped up here in about a week or so. We talked to Rob Ryan at Radio Row, and he was very yeah. happy that no. the Raiders were able to you know kind of like retain in a way uh, Rob Leonard. Yeah. 
and it's like you know he he said like every team basically in the league was putting in for him to try to you know pry him out, but he wanted to be a Raider, wanted to stay a Raider. And he, you know, he's played with, you know, he's coached with the Ravens. He's, he's been around and he's a highly sought after guy, but even he is seeing what Antonio Pierce is able to do. But I also think like he loves working with those guys and the the kind of personnel they have, especially with somebody like Max Crosby. Yeah. He was out in Mobile. He coached the, uh, I think it was the national team's defensive line. And uh, I I was joking with him. I was like, man, you know, with what, what, with what you guys did, uh, I'm not sure you, you need any of these players. And what? What? We always need pass rush. <laughs> More pass rush. I want to draft all these guys. So uh, typical D-line coach uh, wanting to wanting to beef up his room. But uh, he's really excited about what, you know, about what Malcolm Koontz did. Really excited about Tyree Wilson being able to get really now a full offseason of just football stuff. We've talked about that a lot um, mm-hmm. with Tyree. His whole offseason last year was just getting better from a foot injury. He didn't do anything football related until the last week of training camp like hardcore kind of stuff. And even at that point, there was a huge ramp-up period. He wasn't really fully practicing until a couple of weeks into the season. So uh, we'll see um, if this offseason, if he puts his time to good use, if, if we're going to see the benefits of that. Yeah, I like it. I, I, I also like having former athletes not too far from the game on not too far from the field also being put in coaching yeah. positions, not only to give opportunity, but – you know, Antonio Pierce has often said, like, when you look at other coaches and coordinators, you know, he'd say something like, you know, we can do what they can do, but they could they can never do what we did right. as players on the field. And and it's their own experiment. Right. Like, it's honestly, maybe yeah. maybe I need to start looking at these as like instead of a, it, it's a team, you have a goal and all that stuff. But it's an experiment. We're trying to figure out if this can this compilation of people and concepts and things are going to work. It comes with a little right. bit more of an assumption that failure is an option, that failure is a guarantee in a lot of different ways. But you're still trying to assemble the, the best possible exper- experiment to see if it works. And again, I, I, I kind of think this is in, in the image of what we're seeing Dion do up in Colorado and try to change mm. the dynamic of what type of environment produces high-level athletes and, and, and being yeah. like, Lots of people can find different ways to get through. It doesn't always have to be this way. And so finding people that, as you said, that proximity to the game, uh, and as long as they keep up with it, as long as they keep their due diligence, because if you wait in the weeds and just say, well, it's going to stay the same and I know everything, it will catch up to you within about a year and a half. And can you convey that? Can you be a teacher? Because it really is, first and foremost, about teaching, um, you know, about articulating what it is that we want you to do, you know, that's, that's first and foremost. And, and also being understand, uh, being able to understand how each person learns, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it used to be, you, you'd be throwing, you know, uh, your head up against um, the wall, trying to force feed a certain way of teaching to everybody. And not everybody absorbs information exactly the same. Some people want to see it drawn up on the chalkboard. Some people, you need to walk it out with them out on the field. Sometimes you show it to them on, on, on the field. Sometimes you verbalize it. People digest information verbally and and having the patience and foresight and understanding to know that not everybody's getting the message just because I'm drawing it up right here. For each of these guys in this room, maybe there's 10 guys in each room, I'm going to I might have to do it 10 different ways or five different ways or wherever it is, mm-hmm. but you have to have the patience and the understanding that just because they're not getting it here 
doesn't mean they can't get it elsewhere or, or, or figure it out elsewhere. And it's up to you as the teacher to figure that out and convey it to the way they respond to it. The DeAndre Carter, uh, is that's an interesting one because he was such a uh, highly acclaimed college player, but getting a chance to see a guy that's been through so many different systems and under some really impressive coaches, you know, uh, Andre Carter, rather, yeah. uh, as a pass rush specialist. I, I think that's an interesting little uh, dynamic for him because he was kind of like sought after as that new hybrid pass rushing guy that could go and really start changing the game and you know think about all from the Niners Dolphins Jets like that's that's an impressive array of guys that he has learned under so taking that that experience goes really uh, really far ahead and we'll take a break we'll come back we'll read some text on the other side 702-365-9200 it's Vinny Lindsay and Clay here on the gate let's get back to the morning tailgate the show that's better than an alarm clock to start your day Thank you for all the feedback we got on our text line, 702-365-9200. Uh, we ran the gamut of topics today, but we definitely appreciate everybody still continuing to pile in and, and letting us know your your thoughts, and they're, they're really deep, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And we just want to remember, obviously, Lisa Lopez Galvan, uh, who unfortunately lost her life yesterday. She was one of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a radio person, and uh, I, don't, I don't need very much to put myself in other people's shoes or, or to have empathy, but that one certainly... Uh, hits close to home and and Luke weighed in on the don't be broke text line with uh, with some great thoughts here uh, he said when are we going to pivot from reforming gun laws to try and understand why people feel the need to shoot other people what we need is mental health and education reform long-term problems require long-term solutions and I could not be more in yeah. agreement with that Luke uh, it, the answer is yes all of it mm-hmm. both yes and, I'm, I'm uh, and this is them. where my not to to boil it all down to uh, a catchphrase that I made up, but this is part of the reason why I would say the male ego is undefeated because some people think that it's okay to settle their disputes with bullets and not care about what goes on around them, and other people pay that price for that thought. The thing about the mental health thing, which I'm completely with, is that we, we compound the lack of attention to that by also making it easier for everybody to get guns. Correct. That's the thing. We're not it's like, willing to help in any capacity. Right. You know, There's that's my whole ways. point. Like, people that are going through issues can easily get guns. And and that's where I, I just, we have to do both. We have to be able to try to solve both problems and, and not just go one or the other or none, which is what we're actually doing right now. We're not doing any of it. Uh, to me, we have to attack both of those issues, and hopefully at some point so we'll hit some sort of final, all right, now we really do have to do something about it, and everybody, and everybody will get on board because that's what it's going to require. Our podcast page, lvsportsnetwork.com. Lindsey Brown, Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker, we thank you for listening. Coming up next, it'll be Rich Eisen here on Raider Nation Radio, and then a full day with JT The Brick and Q Mars, beginning at noon here on r 920. Have a great day, everybody.